0: caller here actually inside TCO performance center at the moment, just after coordinators finished up talking and Jeremiah Searles with me as well on the road. But you know what? We make this thing happen no matter what we have proved that over the years. I just want to know from you, Jeremiah, as a former offensive lineman, what would it be like to have a quarterback come into the game who knew basically nothing about the offense that he hadn't learned that week and did not know your name and then play with him and win a football game. What what would that be like?
1: I, I couldn't imagine. I, I literally was watching that happen going, how how is this even possible, right? I mean, all the way from, have you even heard this guy's cadence? Like, do you even know how he's gonna call things in the huddle? Like, do you know what he's gonna check to? Is he gonna be able to come up and flip a protection? Like everything in your mind would just be going like, I don't I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know, understand, but I'm just going to know, hey, at least we're going to have to go on silent cadence and I'm just going to watch that ball. And Bradbury, you do your little head bob and whoever's calling the plays, we'll just try and read his lips and hope that it's not gibberish coming out of it. And I mean, just complete what could have been dysfunction, right? That could have so easily, and it almost did. I mean, it's the way when it, when he first went in there, I was going, oh boy. Like, this is exactly kind of what I expected this to be. This is gonna, not going to be pretty. This is going to be horrific. And the way that they were all able to rally together, rally around him, and give him the best chance to win that football game for them speaks a huge testament to the other 10 guys that are on that field at any given time with him on the offense and also to KOC. And we talked about on the show last week. This was going to be a huge test of how is KOC going to be able to respond? How is he going to be able to be a coach, a leader, all those things? And he checked so many boxes for me. Watching the way that he handled that situation last week, but as a player, I'm still a little bit in awe and I can't wait to ask one of those guys at one point in time, like, so what was it actually like? Like from a, like a player's perspective, what was actually going through your brain when you saw him back there, warming up, taking snaps from Garrett for the first time ever?
0: (laughs) Yeah. And really, I mean, they had a couple of little issues. There was one run play where the ball ended up on the ground. And I think there was maybe one false start, but all things considered, that's pretty impressive to come out of that game. That's like a normal amount of miscues when it comes to the snap and everything else can you explain the cadence element? Because it's been brought up a couple of times that are five different cadences that they had never heard him call before. And there was the video that uh, I think care posted of like him on the sideline with the offensive lineman, all standing around, like trying to listen for what exactly his cadence sounds like. What is, what does that, what does that mean? Like to, to have to practice the cadence and how does that work?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think everyone assumes like, well, it's just on one, right? like, well, yes, but the tempo of the cadence is what makes it difficult from quarterback to quarterback. You know, the the easiest example is Cam Newton, right? Wide 80, wide 80, right? Like there's a there's a timing to that, that as an offensive line, you get used to the rhythm of your quarterback's cadence that you can get a jump off the ball. You can get a, a feel of like, okay, I finally have to backside cut off and I need to jump this snap. I know that when I hear the the of him coming out that I can just go and run. But when you get a new quarterback in there, you're kind of hesitant. You're a little hesitant, like, okay, is it wide eighty, wide eighty hut, or is there a pause somewhere in there? Is there is an emphasis on the on a, a word he's going to use? And a really big one is is the double counts, right? What does the double count sound like? What is the pause between if it's on the hard two, right? Wide eighty, said hut hut right like what is the co- what is the pause in there is he going to really pause is it going to be a short pause there's so many of those things that go into that too and also a lot of it with the game that KOC has the way this offense is there's multiple play called so if he's going to have to check to something what is the cadence like where he starts his cadence and then in the middle of it stops and comes up and then checks to a new play right hey white 80 white 80 hey let's go to X 22 or whatever it might be. And you're like, you just kind of hold, hold in there. Cause you're expecting the next cadence to come, but you just don't have any feel for that at all. When you have a new quarterback in there and so much, it was almost a blessing that we were on the road. And I know that's a weird thing to say, but the ability to use the silent cadence where all five guys are used to the Bradbury head Bob is really good. Because if that would have been at home, and you're trying to go off all verbal cadence, I think it would have actually been a lot harder for Dobbs. Because also, Dobbs doesn't have to focus on the cadence when he's in the shotgun now. He just has to go, okay, I'm ready. I think I know what's happening. Leg kick, ball come. Right? he doesn't have to worry about also going through the cadence at times when he was in the shotgun so that was almost a little bit of a blessing in disguise but this is that's gonna be a huge thing to watch this week is how many cadences can he be plugged into because Kc's right you go into a game with about five different cadences verbally right you have your on one you're on two the hard two the blue the yellow the trying to draw them off sides. All those different cadences are in for a game plan, and so you have to just get really used. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're eating lunch together, going over cadences, they're in meetings together, going over cadences, and just it's going to be at a point of nauseam this week that the five offensive linemen and Josh Dobbs sit there together and just get used to his verbiage and lingo.
0: Well, yeah, you, you are good to call back for what we talked about last week about this being a challenge because not only did Kevin O'Connell pass that challenge when it came to, um, you know, getting into a headset and communicating and everything else. It sounded like, you know, Josh Dobbs was going to be hearing KOC in his sleep basically because of how much uh, he was talking with him. But. The coaching job as a whole, I think from both sides, we have to also uh, include Brian Flores in this in the way that his defense responded. I think that over the last year and a half, we've already had a pretty good sense for what kind of coaching staff this was. Um, If you're in Atlanta right now, I think you know what kind of coaching staff that (laughs) is Uh, when you have, uh, you know, something go completely wrong. it's, It's obvious. But sometimes you need a moment like this to be really sure about a coaching staff. Last year, everything kind of went their way. And yeah, I thought that he galvanized the locker room really well, but they never really went through anything. They had a lot of veteran players. They had Kendrick's, they had Patrick Peterson, all that to lose some of those key guys and to still come together like a team and then have your head coach having to basically guide your quarterback while managing the entire game. I don't think you can be overly hyperbolic in talking about how impressive it is.
1: Yeah, I mean, complete 100% on all cylinders, KOC hit on Sunday. And especially because he wasn't preparing for that. You know, that wasn't something that in, he didn't go to bed on Saturday night thinking, man, I'm going to have to walk my quarterback through this entire game. Now, he probably thought I'm going to have to help this rookie a ton, but he at least knows my verbiage. He knows my playbook. I can at least speak the same language to him. And for him to be able to pivot on a dime and say, okay, this is what I have to do to help my team win while also executing all my other responsibilities as a head coach, you can't speak enough to that because I don't know if people truly understand how hard that is. We see time and time again head coaches making wrong decisions every single week when they're not hand-holding a brand-new quarterback as well. And I thought the management of that game that he had – the way that he handled some of the timeouts, the way that he handled some of the game management towards the end of the game, too, was phenomenal. And then to be able to have your quarterback say, okay, here's the play call. Say this to the other 10 guys. Okay, gun, trips right, key right, Y pivot, X slant, Z cross, and then go, okay, here's what that means. <laughs> here's what you need to see. Okay, now that that's out of the way, here's what you're looking for. Addison's going to run this. Hawk's going to run this. If it's cover two, get it to him. If it's cover one, come in boom, cuts out. Right, like, Because at 15 seconds, that, that mic is dead. And so then at that point, you're just putting as much trust as you can. And the streamline of communication had to be so excellent and so concise and detail-oriented in that very short time from 40 seconds to 15 seconds to be able to get everything in is so hard. It's so hard for a normal thing to do. It's so hard for a normal offense to operate like that, let alone find a way. And I even looked to my wife as we were watching the game at the end of the game two minute. Right, and I go well. He doesn't know any of the signals, like there's because the two minute drill is so much about signals and pushing out to your to your coach or to your receivers like, hey, Squire out or whatever it is. Like he has no idea what any of these signals mean. Like it's going to be an all hands on deck of everyone on the sidelines is going to have to be signaling to the receivers and KOC is going to be in his headset and making sure the the uh, offensive line's getting the protection right and. All of that just goes into a game-winning drive is just remarkable, and it's something that needs to continue to be talked about. And I don't know how this next week's going to go, but to be able to look back at how this week went could be a huge selling point for Josh Dobbs' career in the NFL.
0: Yeah. And that's, we have to talk about him as well, because with Josh Dobbs, I had looked back at a couple of games in Arizona and there were certainly things to like about him. His mobility was at the top of the list. And while we could talk about his rocket science background and everything else and how smart he is, and I have no doubts about that, uh, because I took journalism and that takes almost no effort at all. Uh, but, uh, you know, when it, when it came to his athletic ability to make the key plays at huge moments, they do not win without him just going completely off script. And there's a a discussion there about the mobility of quarterbacks in the NFL and how it makes a difference, even though you don't see it in those passer rating statistics and so forth. But I just thought from his own confidence, like, Confidence to me is such a massive thing in the NFL guys feeling confident in themselves and what they could do and to come in to that situation and then to completely screw up the first two drives where you have the football. And yet there was something that kicked in with him when the free rusher came at him and he was like, no, I got to run. Like, I just got to go. And then he's dodging a guy. He's jumping over a guy. And it was almost like just the natural ability took over. And I think that as we go forward, there's this discussion to be had of whether, like, was it just one of those freak one-time things that was kind of crazy that they won this game? Or can they do it week in and week out to make the playoffs? And those plays gave me more confidence in it. I I think that Dobbs is still going to have some turnovers because he always has. But if you can escape a free rusher, a linebacker or a a cornerback coming right at you and he's got size and he's also got like a nimbleness to him that they can work on the rest. They can get people open. They can get the ball to receivers. We'll see if Justin Jefferson is back. But that part of it actually does act as kind of a cheat code for even if he doesn't understand something he's supposed to be seeing.
1: Yeah, it's an escape route. It's an escape route that Kirk Cousins doesn't have. It's an escape route that a lot of the true pocket-passing quarterbacks just don't have. And it's why you're seeing when Cincinnati was awful early this year because Joe Burrow couldn't escape and couldn't create. And now you're seeing him call quarterback draws and move and go, and that's going to bring a total different element to this offense that Josh Dobbs can bring. On the flip side of that, though, it also is going to change how defenses attack the Vikings' offense. Forever and always, you knew – if I blitz the Vikings, Kirk Cousins is going to be standing on that spot right there, race to the spot. Well, now it's going to be a little different. Of He's not going to start on that spot, but we have to maybe stay in our lanes a little bit so that he's not taking off like Mahomes does, where he's not going to streak down the sideline with 4-4 four, four speed, but he's going to get 12 or 13 if it's man coverage, deep man routes, and he's just going to escape out the middle of the pocket. And for him to have that athletic ability, escape ability really is why he was able to have so much success this game because when you got you can go out there and run and make guys miss you're absolutely right it builds to a guy's confidence it builds to his swagger to his moxie and guys are starting to pat him on the head and he's starting to feel himself a little bit and starting to confidence like yeah i can make that throw right i'm the guy right and every quarterback has to have that humble arrogance to him they have to have that razor thin margin that they walk between that humbleness and that arrogance of i am the best Right? If I'm out on this field, I am the best. I am one of 32 individuals in the entire world that can quarterback an NFL football team. And if you can have that and still be able to pull yourself back at times, that's the greats. Those are the dudes that can make it great. And I'm not saying Josh Dobbs is great, but what he did on Sunday was a great performance because he walked that line extremely well. His teammates rallied around him, and he found a way to win a football game on the road in the NFL, which is extremely difficult to do.
0: I think what it says about uh, Josh Dobbs, yeah, what you're talking about with his mentality and how he could go out there and sort of have the. Calling it arrogance sounds wrong just because it's like not, it's usually a negative connotation. But there's a throw that he makes that should have been caught by Tristan Jackson, who's like wide receiver six or something. (laughs) And he drops back. He's got a free rusher and he's staring him right down and he fires that ball. It, with anticipation should have been a touchdown but i think you had just seen kj osborne go down and was like ah, i don't know about that uh th- this is going to get me hurt but that type of throw to come in and make i thought was as imp- impressive as the running game and that kind of leads to the next question here the running game for dobbs the other running game not so impressive is what do they need to do to support him further because i watched back the tape and i watched all the running plays and I'm surprised my face isn't green right now. I mean, it was horrible. And I know that the Atlanta Falcons have a good run defense, and I know that they're going to load up when it's a backup quarterback, and they're going to be thinking, all right, you're running on first and second down, and maybe third down because your guy doesn't even know the playbook. They're aware of that. But this has been a season-long trend. When you watch it, what, a, what am I supposed to be looking for here? Because I feel like it's always something different. It's like on one play, Madison runs right into the back of his guy. On another play, it's like somebody misses a block. There was a few by Bradbury in this game where I thought, eh, you know, you, you got to have that one. And you don't have anybody who can really make someone miss. Now Cam Akers is out for the season. Like, is there anything that could be done here or is it just going to be ugly?
1: I think it's just going to be ugly. You know, I think it's one of those things. At this point in the year, if you haven't really figured it out, I don't think it's all of a sudden just going to click. Now that doesn't mean we have to abandon it, and we can't just abandon the run game. We're not, we're not the Buffalo Bills, where you're just like, all right, Josh Allen, figure it out, right? Like we're done trying this whole we're going to run the football thing. Just throw it. We're fine, right? We can't put that pressure on Dobbs. We have to continue to try and find ways to run the football. You know, I thought some of the things we did last week of you know Powell on the end arounds and some of those things and creating. What are like run plays with the receiver screens or quick slants or RPOs, you know, with a mobile quarterback. Now you can install the run pass options like what Jalen Hurts runs up the Eagles because Josh Dobbs can run. He can now make that a true run pass option with also the element of a quarterback run in it. So I think KOC is going to install some of that stuff this week because when you're struggling to run the football, you have to scheme guys open. Right. You have to scheme run plays open when you're struggling to say, line it up, we're running either inside zone or this lob toss that we like to run. And it's man on man, macho, macho. You go beat those guys. We just haven't done that a consistent basis this year. So now you go into the run game room and you say, all right, we have a running quarterback that can move in mobility. We're down to just Madison. We lost Akers. We have a really good tight end in TJ Hawkinson. Let's start scheming up some of these RPOs and put some stress on these linebackers so they can't just tee off and run downhill. right? If they want to tee off and run downhill, let's have an answer with Hawkinson with a hook curl. Or let's have an answer with Addison on a quick slant, shallow, across the way. If they want to crash and bail hard, tell Dobbs to put his foot in the ground and go get five or six and slide. right? Those type of things or all things you can scheme against a defense. But that also is going to change that the defense is going to pick up on that, and it's going to start just becoming a chess match. And when you try and scheme things open all the time, if a defense figures it out mid-game, it's really hard to then go back to, well, we'll just start pounding it up the middle again when that hasn't worked. So it's going to be a mess. It's going to be kind of an alphabet soup, if you say, of how we run the football. It's going to be all over the place. But I think KOC and this offense understands they just have to keep trying to find ways to get some positive runs in there. But we're never going to be a team that's going to run the ball 25 to 30 times a game. It's just not how KOC in his DNA is built either.
0: Folks, I hope you've enjoyed listening to us talk about prize picks this year. But if you've missed it, here's how it works. You go to prizepicks.com and it is simple. You pick either more or less between two and six player stat projections and that's it. Now you're playing. So if it's X number of yards for a quarterback, you just decide, are they going to throw for more or less than that number of yards? But it works with lots of different options, receiving yards, touchdowns, even field goals, all sorts of sports as well. prizepickscom purple. Go there, use the code purple for the first deposit match up to $100. One of the reasons I like Price picks, it is very simple to use. You would see how we do it on the show real quick and easy and then we talk about our picks and also not expensive either you can turn ten dollars into 250 by nailing just a couple of picks so go to prizepicks.com slash purple the code purple daily fantasy sports made easy do you think is it that they should have regrets over the running back choice uh, because madison did give them reason to believe in the past that he could be a pretty good running back I think what we're seeing now is that he's probably either an outside zone guy or not or nothing um because I thought he was very good in Gary Kubiak and Kevin Stefanski's outside zone but when it comes to making reads on pullers and things like that I I don't know it just seems like he just wants to go forward and slams into people uh but you know they went into this season with just him and Ty Chandler Kenny Wong who gets hurt, they go out and get cam Akers. he comes in has some good moments but was not a difference maker. But then there's also the scheme element. Like Kevin O'Connell is a passing scheme guy, former quarterback. He's in in his sleep drawing up passing plays. But when it comes to the run, it sort of feels like an obligation and I you know, it's not that I never see anything that I think is schemed up well. There are, there were opportunities and yards left out there, but I also don't see this like cohesive this is the Vikings run scheme this is what you're gonna get and you're not gonna like it that's how it was with Stefanski I felt like it was like they're gonna run this style and everybody knows it down to a t. I, I feel like it's sound it's sort of like well let's let's try this one No, that didn't work what about this one is that no no okay I don't know pass I mean that that's what it feels like to me but that's a less trained eye than yours
1: you're you're 100 correct you know I couldn't you tell me today, hey, gun to your head, what's the identity of the Vikings run scheme? No clue. No clue. Right? I couldn't put a T on it of we're a pin-pull team, we're a gap scheme, we're an outside zone, we're an inside run. It's a little bit of everything because nothing works. And when it's the addos saying, you know, jack of all trades, master of none, you can the good running teams in the NFL have a bread-and-butter scheme that they know they can go to at any time any defense, and get positive yards on it. And we just aren't that. And I don't know if that's because we don't practice it well. I'm sure we practice run game. But when you are an offensive-minded pass at first head coach, majority of your practice time, which is limited, goes towards pass plays, goes towards team pass, goes towards protections, goes towards everything else. And then the run game is almost an afterthought. And you can do that when you have Kirk Cousins, when that is your whole offense and your pivotal point. Now you have to shift. You say, Josh Dobbs, yes, we can throw it. Do we want him throwing it 40 times a game? Probably not. Not initially, right? So we have to find ways to create in the running game, and that's going to be a point of emphasis this week and going forward. But with the Madison question, yeah, we probably have a little buyer's remorse in Alexander Madison right now. I think everyone would agree with that. But the only thing I think we could have done differently is draft one but that's, that's also kind of a, a crapshoot as well. Is, well, do we, we don't want to draft one high because that's not what good teams do. And we have some good depth pieces that we thought in Chandler, and he's just not turned out. And so we get Cam Akers. But the only other option was really continue to tie ourselves to Dalvin Cook, which that looks like that was a good move to let him leave. Right. I'm not going to say that Dalvin Cook fixed this as his run game because I don't think he does. You know, Seeing what he's done in New York and seeing what Brees Hall's done, you can tell there's a clear difference between Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook. So I don't think if everyone's saying, well, if we had Cook, everything would be fine. That's probably not the right choice either. But I do think this shows that Madison got his opportunity to be the guy, hasn't worked, and we're going to have to go back to the drawing board for the running back position for 2024
0: right yeah you're probably right that there's no answer but i will say i would like to see ty chandler more i think that what they don't buy into is his ability to pass block and if you can't trust him to pass block and the other team knows you can't trust him to pass block then he's in the game he's getting the ball and then everyone knows he's getting the ball and then like round and round we go however he does run a four three eight forty so That's pretty fast. There has to be some way to mix that in, right? And, uh, you know, with Akers, I understood, because Akers is pretty quick, and he's also got a toughness element to him. And two or three times a game, he does something just awesome like him laying out mm. the defensive tackle. That was unreal for a running back to just be like, no, full speed defensive <laughs> tackle. I'm going to plow you. I've mentioned this before, and I feel terrible for Cam Akers because I feel like he really fit in here. Like that guy is as yoked as any dude. And I'm like not that surprised that he knocked a uh, defensive tackle over like that. But those plays are now gone as well. So now it's really on one guy or them finding a way To use ty chandler which i think once again goes on to the coaching if there's things that he can't do well you got to figure out a way to work around it uh i want to talk about the defensive side and then i want to talk about the big picture of this each week i think starting in training camp and then we had a little dip of it when they didn't play very well and then it's come back up in recent is recent weeks it's been better and better from brian flores uh, really impressed from training camp how much the offense was struggling against the defense. You kind of tell like there's something going on here, but what I see from the players galvanizing, and and you can speak to this as someone who's been in a locker room and been a, a part of a a great football team with a great defense. There's stuff you watch on tape where you're like, these guys are buying this, and they really like each other. You know, like just the reactions, just the confidence, like. There's so much there that Brian Flores seems to have instilled. And what I love about this defense, and I can't say it enough, everybody plays, everybody who's got a Jersey is out there. It's like, it's like my junior high baseball team where they'd be like, all right, we got to make sure everybody gets in the game. So Tim (laughs) and you go play uh, left field or whatever. That's how, like there's Theo Jackson, there's TJ Smith, TJ Smith's active. Huh? Okay. All right. Kyrus Tonga's running down a screen pass. What is going on here? When, when I, this is what I want to know. How much can coaching elevate what's already there? Because this is very much a sum of the parts is much greater than, or wait, the whole is mm-hmm. much greater than the sum of the parts situation on this defense.
1: Yeah. The thing that is incredible to me is every single person, in my opinion, besides maybe like Harrison Smith, and Neil Hunter are overperforming. right? And that very rarely happens in the NFL. Usually you will kind of are who you are and there's not a lot of hiding from over talent on the other side. And I think of a guy like Bullard, right? Bullard is a guy for me that early in the year, we watched him against the Eagles just get mashed, right? I mean, just mashed over and over again. Harrison Phillips mashed over and over again. And now all of a sudden it's like this light bulb went off or this switch got flipped where they're creating havoc and they're penetrating and they're moving and they're holding their own on double teams and that has to speak towards coaching and also confidence in their abilities that somehow flores has been able to tap into every single one of the guys that he puts out there to give them overconfidence to go out there and be like you can do this like, you may not be the guy that benches 800 pounds and squats 600 and you're gonna be a bowling ball harder to move but i believe in you to go out and do this and on the flip side, the player looking at Flores going, yeah, yeah, I can't, right? And like, ah, and like running out there. And that just speaks to a leadership quality that Flores has. It speaks to everyone playing for each other. And it's contagious, I think, in a way where you're seeing other guys overperform, and You're like, I want to be like that guy. I, wa- I want to get my shot. I'm going to get my shot. I want to make sure I make the most out of my opportunity. And everyone just finding ways to contribute. But all of it goes back to trusting the scheme of Brian Flores, trusting to play within the scheme. So many times when guys go rogue and think, and that was kind of the deal with Chase Young, right? You heard a couple people like, well, he wasn't really a team defense guy, right? This is a team defense where everyone understands maybe we won't be as matched physically with the people across from us. Yes, we are NFL players. They're NFL players, sure. But we may not be as physically talented, but if our scheme is better than them, we win. If we scheme it right and all of us are in our gap and everyone does their job, we win. And that's what you're seeing from this defense is people trusting Brian Flores' scheme, somehow finding a way to continue to overperform each week, week in and week out. And when you do that, you put yourself in a great position and overall, first down has been the best down for the Vikings. They have been tremendous on first down and making the offense in second and long and keeping them behind the sticks, which allows us to have a good third down. But overall, their first down defense has been what I've been most impressed with.
0: And and Flores on first down has been often using these five-man fronts, which can get burned at times in the middle of the field. But if you cause confusion with what you're doing on the back end, which he seems to throw a lot of different things, uh, leads the league in drop eight, which is kind of funny uh, because we don't think of that with him. If you're leading the league in blitzing and leading the league in drop eight, you're not doing a lot of normal stuff (laughs) in between. Uh, which, which which, is really interesting. And and when you compare it, and it's hard not to, to what we saw last year from Ed Donatel, it was like, will you ever do anything different than this same thing over and over? And gosh, we saw that in Green Bay when the Vikings lit them up. It's like these Vic Fangio wannabes. It's great if you're Vic Fangio, but if you're not, it seems hard to repeat. Um, and Flores goes the exact opposite way with many different looks. It also feels to me like a basketball team where you're like, all right, You go stand in the corner, shoot threes. You're good off the dribble. So you do that. You're good at passing. You're a three and D you're a, you know, you, you get the rebounds. Udonis Haslam go stand underneath the basket. Just get rebounds. It's the same kind of thing where it's like, all right, Jonathan Bullard, the only thing you're good at is stuffing gaps. So stuff gaps, my guy. And the only thing, you know, Josh Metellus, you're good at a lot of things. So we're going to have you do a lot of things. You're over there. You're over there. You're over there. I mean, Harrison Smith looks like he's having a hell of a time too. I mean, in a good way, like he looks like on tape to me, that guy is having a lot of fun playing football. I see the same thing from Daniil Hunter. He was a monster in this game. It cannot be overstated. Josh Dobbs gets the W. Actually, on pro football reference. Jaron Hall gets the W, which <laughs> needs to be corrected. Not kidding. That's that. Yeah. No. But, but if you were given out like defensive lineman wins, Daniil Hunter stuffed so many runs and so many big situations in that game. I just think it ties all back in and, uh, you know, kind of says a lot about what the coach has been able to do to find spots for all of these guys. There also is though, when it comes to all of this, we have to take it in this direction as well. It was a backup quarterback. It's one of the worst coach teams in the league, in my opinion. Before that, they also faced a backup level quarterback with Jordan Love. Mm. Bryce Young doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, Baygent happened. Like there is, there is a lot of this as well that was mixed in with San Francisco. But Brock Purdy was averaging nine yards per pass attempt before he, uh, you know, threw the interceptions at the end. All of this, the big question is with Dobbs with the defense. Will this continue to last is the question here.
1: I think with the schedule we have, it's a yes and no. You know, when we're playing lesser opponents, I think the answer is yes. We will be tested like we were against San Fran when we played Detroit and when we play Cincinnati and when we play these teams that have high caliber quarterbacks and high caliber offenses. You know, you look at our, our schedule and you're going, well, that's kind of a low level offense, low Ooh, high power offense, right? It's going to be. It's going to be a feast or famine thing. And the definition of a great team is consistency. And a good team is less consistent. A bad team is horribly consistent, right? They do it every three plays. And so what I want to see from this Vikings defense is you've done it consistently now, week in and week out. Now, when the level of competition changes in which you're going against at the quarterback level, does that change how you guys play? Does that mean that he's making that throw that Taylor Heineke can't make or doesn't trust himself to make? Or when you're playing against Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and Boyd and Joe Mixon and Joe Burrow, can you be as aggressive and can that talent match that we talked about, about overperforming, can you consistently do that week in or week out or is it eventually going to come up and catch up with us? And I think it's probably more along the lines of it's eventually going to come and catch up with us when you start playing more consistent teams. The good news is we've made it through the meat grinder of our schedule. Like The meat grinder is over. Like, the early part of the year, we had Kirk Cousins. Now, like, this, we talked about that middle eight kind of game thing was going to be brutal, and you're kind of going back in the back end here where you're looking at games like, yeah, we have three games, in my opinion, the two Detroit games and and the Bengal game are the three games that are, like, my antennas are up. The rest of them, I look on paper, we should win. On paper, we should win. And those other games could be a coin flip based on how that goes, but I think because of the confidence we built through this stretch
0: and this run, we have a chance to win all those games. So here's the thing that I'm concerned about is when you have to exhaust so much effort that at some point the wheels give out. Mm -hmm. So think about uh, and uh, I am an amateur jogger. And uh, if I was trying to race someone who is a real jogger, then I might be able to keep up with them for a little while but I would be given everything I had. And by the middle of that race with somebody who's actually good at it, my legs would just give out. And the thing is that like, if you're let's say, you know, Kansas city, for example, has had a lot of adversity through their season to be at seven and two, but they've gone through a lot. Uh, and their offense isn't what it's supposed to be and everything else. I'd go play in Germany. Didn't play the like sweetest game, but they have Patrick Mahomes. And that is the one like that. Even if he's playing worse than he normally plays, you know that you are going to be able to survive through those things. And the time where I saw it, obviously the most was Minneapolis miracle to NFC championship. After that game, it was kind of like this where there was just like this. I can't believe we did it like all this attention for it. They had to give every single thing they had. And then the next week it wasn't there. You've been through it before. I've covered it before it feels like it's coming but how, how do you stave that off like how do you make it maybe you lose this week but you don't make it like a three game losing streak to bad teams because you just ran out of gas
1: a lot of it is in your preparation how you prepare throughout the week and koc is going to have to get a bead on this team starting tomorrow right today's the off day so starting on wednesday when his team walks in there and you walk into that first team meeting on monday on wednesday morning KOC is going to have to get a beat of where is the emotional tank of this team and how do I either bring them down a little bit so that they're not burning on high and they're going to run out by Sunday or how do I slowly start the process of building them up from where they're at right now if they're too low and that is built through how practice is scheduled how the week is scheduled with meetings kind of what are we putting an emphasis on and that all just goes into allowing a player to just play Because it is easy for us as players to get caught up in the emotion of a high win or even a bad loss. And it then also falls back onto the very few veterans that are left on this team of trying to coach some of the younger guys through this. Hey, I know you're feeling great. I know things are good right now. But guess what? None of that matters anymore. Nothing that mattered on Sunday. No one cares at all about it anymore. No one's going to give us a pat on the back because we found a way to win with a backup quarterback. It's a new week. And teaching guys and instilling the culture into that's going to be really important or else you are setting setting yourself up for a letdown, right? And if you do have a letdown, everything I just mentioned comes even more important the following week of bouncing guys back and bringing guys back. And there is no exact science to it. And everyone is susceptible to it at every level of the league from the Eagles all the way down to the Carolina Panthers. You are susceptible to this of an emotional letdown And it's just a matter of being able to identify it, I think, is the first thing and not just think, oh, we'll just get through it. right? I think it's like, okay, they'll they'll be fine. They'll figure it out as a team. They'll get through it. No, you got to identify this kind of stuff and talk about it so everyone's on the same page with it. And then once you can identify it, you can start attacking the problem areas in which they are to
0: try and overcome that emotional letdown. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Folks, if you're struggling with the holiday blues and you're having some trouble getting excited in the same way that other people in your life do about holiday get togethers and all of that just sounds stressful to you, then maybe it might be helpful to add something new in your life to help deal with those feelings. That's where therapy could be a bright spot for you. It can help give you the tools to manage stress and help you feel more grounded. If this sounds like something you'd be interested in, check out BetterHelp. It's entirely online, convenient, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Go to betterhelp.com insider to get 10% off your your first month today. That's betterhelp.com slash insider. Folks, I cannot believe how many sports are going on right now. And guess what? There's a way to go to all of them with affordable tickets. My friends, you are going to want to check out Game Time. It is the fast and easy way to buy tickets to any sports event that you want to attend and much, much more. One of the cool parts about Game Time is that they have flash deals on last-minute tickets and a low-price guarantee, which means if you find something lower in the section or row, they will credit you 100 Hundred and ten percent. You also get images of your seat locations, which I love because those maps can be a little confusing. Buy tickets in seconds and have them arrive right there on your phone. It's great. Download the Game Time app, create an account, use the code Insider for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem code Insider for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. I think it speaks so much to how much of coaching happens when no one is looking. Uh, You can watch a game and I think you can really tell the preparedness of a team, how gelled together they are and and how much they're panicking or not panicking and all, all those things from the outside. But It's only moments like this where kind of we we really see it, right? When you're really put in that back against the wall, how are they really coached on a day to day basis? And then this week is going to tell us even more. Um, I'm not going to completely, you know, destroy them if they don't win this game because this is this is a real uphill battle. But it's just another challenge, and that's what it's like for a head coach. There's just always another challenge there, and to bounce back from this, the emotions of this, and then stay. Uh, at that level to go beat a team that's probably you you know we're we're talking about detroit and so forth but new orleans is not a trash team like they have a really good defense they have a lot of playmakers on offense and at least a quarterback who's done stuff before in his career this year uh iffy but uh, before we get to love to see it hate to see it uh, where is your bar set now for this team that you have seen them win under these circumstances because two weeks ago we were saying hey Trade away some people before you get too high on yourselves and you get too excited. Now, uh, well, everybody's really excited. So, uh, what do we think? I mean, we sit here at five and four. And
1: I think I put what I say, nine at the beginning of the year. I think I still say nine, maybe closer to eight. You know, I think eight, but I think we'll have a much clearer picture after this week. Because now we're going to see what is Josh Dobbs off a full week of being the starter. And I'm pretty sure I've talked about it on this show before, but being a guy that runs in there on adrenaline and runs in there on just blacking out and finding a way to play is totally different than when you go through the week as being the guy. And this comes from a guy that was a spot starter his whole career. My best football came from off the bench. And it's probably why the reason I was never a true starter in the NFL. You know, and it's a special thing to be a starter in the NFL. But when you're just coming off the bench and you're running out there and everyone's looking at you like, hey, we got this. You're the guy. Come on. and You're like, yeah, 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 I can do it. But when you spend the whole week going, man, OK, I got to study this way now. I got to be This is how my practice schedule is completely different now. Everything is different. It really is a harder thing to do. And so we'll see a lot more of Dobbs and how he handles that this week. The great news is he's been doing it all year. He's been starting all year, which is why we loved the trade and thought the trade was a really good idea because you bring in a starting caliber quarterback that isn't just been sitting on the bench all year. So he's been in this rhythm. He's been in this routine. And if he can find a way to go out and beat this team, you're looking at a true nine win season being a very realistic thing, right? Nine, maybe squeaking out 10 and finding a way to backdoor our way into the playoffs after the horrendous start we had is still a very real thing. And I know some people are listening to that going, yeah, why? Why? Why would we do that? We want the quarterback. We want this. We want that. But at the end of the day, you want to win. You want to win. You want to install a winning culture. And if you can bring in a quarterback that can allow you to do that, that's a win in my book.
0: Yeah, there's, um, there is always going to be that part, a win. And that's always this team. And that's this team's entire history. (laughs) Uh, but probably gives you more confidence. If you can make the playoffs under these circumstances that you can survive just about anything. And, you know, I mean, the, the Vikings under Mike Zimmer, there's always this kind of thing that I get a little bit mm, uncomfortable with, where it's like, Mike Zimmer would have lost this game or lost that game. I'm like, I don't know, man, Mike Zimmer's teams fought through a hell of a lot, including making the NFC championship with a backup quarterback. But that, that, that was one of the things with the defense was so good under Zimmer that I always felt like anybody who comes in can win this game on the offensive side. They just need enough. It feels that way with Kevin O'Connell in just a different way. Like anybody can come in and be a better version of themselves as a quarterback, which maybe if you're making the playoffs makes you believe more that they can find the next quarterback without having to tank and draft number one. Although in our love to see it, hate to see it. I would like to point out where CJ Stroud was selected and how we now feel about the Houston Texans. Let's just go back a year and and talk about how ugly and hideous and awful and pathetic of a franchise and what a joke the Houston Texans were, and all of a sudden, magic. They are on the rise. I can't believe it. I can't figure out why. Now, of course, it doesn't work for everybody, Carolina, and we'll see where that goes, but love to see it. The next superstar quarterback in the NFL, C.J. Stroud, and what I really like about the guy is he seems to have no emotions to him at all. He, he was on a college football Saturday show, very calm on there. He was, he was breaking down like TCOs defensive scheme or whatever. Like he, he seems to me like he is so fit for the NFL and being an NFL franchise quarterback that this is not even a rookie anymore. This is a true franchise quarterback only a few weeks into his career. Love to see that.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, he was going to be my love to see it too. The, the ability for him to lead that game winning drive just ice in his veins and delivering two absolute dots on those games. I mean, I was watching with my dad in the hospital. I was like, are you seeing this? And he was like, yeah, that's who's that quarterback? I was like, that's the second quarterback taken in this year's draft. And he's out there just throwing dudes around. And I love that the Texans, after losing Deshaun Watson the way that they did, you were wondering, were they ever going to get another caliber type of player like he was when he was there back in that organization? and That's always the fear when you let someone like that walk out the door. Is are we ever going to get back to that? And they nailed it. They nailed it, and including Will Anderson. They nailed Will Anderson as well. He has been a phenomenal job for them on defense. And so we talk about if you can have draft second and third overall and nail those two picks, you're setting yourself up for a ton of success in the future there. So hats off to that organization after last year, tough start. Not sure. To do it to Miko Ryan. I think they're going to go a long ways for that. Um, my love to see it is the Bengals are back. The bangles are back. You know, I know that the Buffalo is not the Buffalo that we're used to seeing, but they just do it every year. They start out terribly. They think everyone's going to write them off. They find a way to flip the, to flip the script inside the locker room and make it very personal Now everyone's fully invested, and now they just go out there and look like, yep, they're going to be Super Bowl contenders again, just like we all thought back in August. And the league is better when Joe Burrow and the Bengals are good because it's so fun to talk about that team, the talent all over, the defense is playing actually better, in my opinion, than they have in the last couple years. And you start saying Joe's going to continue to get healthier every week, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, all those dudes, T. Higgins on a contract year, so you know he's balling out. Fun team to watch, going to be a very scary team, especially because they're going to be a wild card team because there's no way they catch the Baltimore Ravens at this point in the year.
0: Yeah, and to see Joe Burrow at 100% and just remind everyone, oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> and you know, honestly, CJ Stroud um, reminds me of Joe Burrow quite a bit. I think that they have... Mm enough mobility to escape and make plays. But the, the, just the accuracy and the intellect of those two guys, anticipation throwing like everything that they have, there's a lot of similarities there. So the AFC has more quarterbacks, which is exactly what the AFC needed. My hate to see it is national television. Oh my God. I mean, the New York jets and Zach Wilson. What did, what did I do? Did I sin? Did I do something wrong? And I am being punished because I enjoy watching football. I did not w- enjoy watching Zach Wilson for like the fifth time on national TV. So I was like, well, you know what? Me and Al Michaels, we'll get excited for Thursday, right? Because Al's been really pumped this year. Yes, he has. The one and seven Panthers versus the two and seven Chicago Bears on Thursday night football. Well, we do a live stream, folks, on YouTube uh, on Thursday night. So if you have nothing else to do and you're not watching that football game, well, OK, that's totally fine. Because Sunday night football will be great. thats I don't even care about Thursday anyway. Sunday night is the Jets and the Raiders. And then Monday night is the Bills and the Broncos. I'd rather be hit by a truck.
1: Why? Why? Why create the flex rule if we're not going to use it? Right? Like these all three of these games, I don't know if you can flex Thursday night games. I don't think you can, right? But all the other two, you should be able to be like, "No, no, no. Flex you right on out of there, stud. You go you go to that nice noon kickoff on a Sunday. No one wants to see that. We'll put you on Peacock or something." Like, yeah, I completely agree with you. It it's not been a great slate of games for primetime. And then, I mean, the best game, everyone thought the best game this last week was going to be the 8:30 a.m. kickoff between the Dolphins and And the Kansas city over in Germany. And I mean, even then it wasn't a great game, but everyone would have much rather seen that game on a Sunday night or Monday night than what was out there. So completely in agreement with you on that front as well. Um, my hate to see it is the New York giants. You just, that team had so much promise, so much potential, so much hype going into the year paid Daniel Jones. You got Saquon back. You draft Jalen Hyatt. Sign Dexter Lawrence. This team, like everyone's, like, are they going to be the ones that knock off Eagles and the NFC East? And just to see time after time, week after week, they have a voodoo doll somewhere that's just getting plucked and prodded and poked, and it's just not going well for them at all. Daniel Jones now tears his ACL. Tyrod Taylor's got broken ribs. Danny DeVito doesn't know what day of the week it is. Like they're just they're they're a, a week away from starting Matt Barkley. Like, I honestly think you see Matt Barkley walk out there on Sunday straight off the couch, number two, going out there and playing for them. And it's just sad to see for Brian Dable, who, again, was my coach in Buffalo, who I have a lot of respect for. I thought they were primed for a big year, and they just have not had anything bounce their way this year.
0: I mean, the offensive line injuries to start the season, which then in part lead to your quarterback injuries, and then it's just uh, devolved from there into one of the worst seasons for anybody versus expectation. I think probably the worst season yeah. of any team because their expectation was probably 10 wins and they end up, uh, they're not going to come close. My last hate to see it is the discourse regarding Caleb Williams jumping in the stands and crying. Uh, now I think that um, if you're saying, look as a, did you see this? Do you know yes, what I'm talking about? I know exactly okay. what you're,
1: I'm curious which way you're going to go with this. And I, I hope we're on the same page. I hope here's we're what on the I, here's
0: same page. Here's what I think. Uh, in the NFL, I just watched Josh Josh Dobbs be about the most even, unemotional person, and handle incredible adversity with ease. I think it's really hard if you are an emotional roller coaster to handle the NFL. And every time I've seen Caleb Williams lose, he he acts like it was just the biggest tragedy that's ever happened, and I. I think that that is going to be tough. That doesn't mean like he's so talented that, you know, he'll probably be a top pick and everything else. It, it's not going to drop his draft stock or make me say he's a bust or anything else. But I think if you don't say like, Hey, a lot of the best quarterbacks, they, they fly pretty even and they go through a lot, man. And he's going to have to figure that out. He's still young. You know, that doesn't mean it can't change. He can't mature or whatever. But when I see that, I think, Most pro quarterbacks in that situation get off the bench. They go shake the other guy's hand and they go back in the locker room. And if they need to have their emotional moment, they're probably going to have it by themselves because they're leading a whole organization for a college kid. I'm much more willing to say, I get it. But if that's how it's going to be in the NFL with those emotional swings, it will be harder for him. Now, if you're saying, oh, he's going to be a bust because he's a wussy like, okay, all right, all right, let's, let's calm down now. Or if you're saying it means nothing, I'd be like, okay, well but you know it may so that's how i see it i'd love to know how you see it yeah i'm
1: we're very much on the same page he is letting his emotions control him and no way shape or form can you operate like that in the national football league in off the field on the field at all if you allow your commotion, emotions to control you bad things are going to happen whether that means you go home and you get yourself in trouble because you're making an impulse decision off emotion or you're trying to force things because you have so much pressure on yourself emotionally on the football field that you're trying to do things that you shouldn't do, throw an interception, reaching the ball out, getting popped out. like Those are all things that are emotionally controlled decisions. And to have your emotions on your sleeve isn't a bad thing. But when they're out of control and sobbing in your mother's arms on national television after a week eight game, not the national championship, not a conference championship, like not one of those type of games or the last time you're ever going to be in a college uniform. Like those are different type of emotions where, yeah, that's that's a, a chapter ending in your life. Like that's a big emotional moment. I cried after my last football game and we won, right? Because I knew like, man, that's the last time I'm ever going to wear the N on the side of my helmet. Right. Those are different than you lost a week eight game against the fifth team in the country, like I get it. It sucks. It hurts. But to have that type of emotional response is alarming. And it also is going to alarm the NFL teams on his response in the press conferences as well. I'm not one to buy into those a lot, you know, but you lose the Utah, you don't have a press conference. And you can say that that was, that was the head coach's deal. We all like Lincoln Riley said, no. And he was respecting that. Sure. Okay. Whatever. But to be standing there, hands in your pockets, poor body language and someone asks you about it, and you're like, I just want to go home and cuddle with my dogs. It's like, I, okay, I, I can understand that, but like you, this is your resume that you're building for the NFL. And I agree with you, he's young. He's going to need to surround himself with a lot of good people to help him write this type of stuff. Because if you don't get this stuff on the front end fixed and talked about and identified It will come back to bite you on the back end because of how stressful the NFL is, the pressure that will be put on you when someone hands you the keys to a billion dollar organization and says, don't wreck it. Like there is a ton of pressure that comes with that. And so I hope he surrounds himself with the right team, the right agent, the right marketing people, the mentors, people reach out to him and just help him understand the okay things to do and the not okay things to do of being a starting quarterback in the NFL because that is his future.
0: Right. Right now he is in college. And also normal people, because I see a lot of projection when people talk about this. Normal people, you don't lead an NFL organization that's worth $5 billion. It's different. Mm-hmm. It's just different. You know, people ask me, why does Kirk Cousins negotiate for so much money? I don't in my job. And I'm like, look, it's just different. <laughs> it's not like you work in, uh, you know, the, the Best Buy office or whatever. It's yes. just not the same. And the same thing goes for for this. And when you lead as a quarterback, and you saw this from Dobbs. It trickles down when he doesn't panic and the coach doesn't panic, then nobody else panics. And and so you see too much of that. But the other thing, too, is at the end of that game, he throws like a check down or something when they're down 10 and there's a minute left and like, look, it's not over. I mean, it's over, but it's college football. It's not over. He looked to me like he kind of gave up. And that's what I see from Justin Fields that worried me is when Justin Fields early in his career, he would get down in a game and it'd be going badly. He would just give up. He'd be like sliding, you know, five yards early instead of trying to get a first down or throwing the ball of bounds or whatever. And like, you never see that, you know, you only see resolve from the great quarterbacks. So it's, I mean, I think it's an interesting discussion to kind of like peel back the layers of this, but I agree, like it's something that he has to understand. And look, nobody understands wanting to go home and be with your dog more Mm -hmm. than us. Hundred percent. It is like, I don't know. It's hard because it's hard not to sound like a, a bad person when you're saying it. But you have to consider some of the moments where we've seen quarterbacks like Jay Cutler or Donovan McNabb who are really talented players, but were a little too on the emotional roller coaster side and had some struggles because of it. So I'll be interested to see if the NFL weighs that and talks about that. Oh they will. Uh, they they will hundred percent. And I saw the senior bowl guy get crushed for saying that, like. He's right, though. They're going to talk about it.
1: They're going to talk. It's not something you can just brush under the rug when you're trying to make a decision that is going to cost everyone in the organization their jobs or not. You have to you have to turn over every leaf, right? Mm -hmm. Player on the field, off the field, who the makeup of the player, all of that goes into if I'm willing to push all my chips in the middle of the table and say, that's my guy. That's who I'm putting my stamp on. Ask the Carolina Panthers in four years. See if it
0: worked out or not. Right. And there's another guy, which is Drake May, who has been fantastic. So, yeah, yeah. I think I think you might go number one. But anyway, that we are a long time from that. And if the Vikings keep winning, uh, we're definitely nowhere near that (laughs) conversation. So I just I I just wanted your as a guy who's been in huddle with many quarterbacks who had uh, incredible resolve to them um, to get your perspective. So I appreciate that. Anyway, thanks, everybody, for watching. Thank you, Jeremiah, for taking the time. And we will do it again next Tuesday. And who knows what we'll be talking about then. So we'll see you all later.
1: Later.